Today we're going to talk about, um, as we continue in this Colossians passage, um, about work and how we work as chosen ones and what work and what it looks like in the work that we do um, and what we do as a worker, as a leader, um, as this passage kind of directs those things in the way that we can live out the work that God's called us to do. Um, in Colossians 3, just kind of looking at the overview of the passage that we've talked about uh, for now, this will be kind of the last three weeks in this section of this passage. Uh, Paul addresses wives, um, children, and servants directly and his equal members of Christ to their husbands, fathers, and masters. It's just an important, significant thing to think about. Um, he even addresses them first in each section. Um, and now all these relationships we've been discussing, um, so the marriage, uh, husband and wife, uh, the child, parent and child, um, and then uh, those, those two specifically are, are really great relationships that have been made and ordained by God. And something to think about as we talk about here, the language that we're going to use is uh, servants and masters is what the scripture uses. Um, but the servant role, and we'll talk a little bit more about what this looks like, but also very similar to the role that we would maybe think of or the history that we might know more about, um, really close to slavery. Um, so as we talk about this relationship today, there's going to be things that are impactful and for us to learn, but important to know that... Um, that this slavery or servanthood role was not something that was ordained by God. Um, Slavery, maybe as we're more familiar with it, is a man-made, and Scripture does not commend this institution, uh, but merely regulates it because of the context and the situations that were going on. God speaks to things that are timely and important and things that are happening in the times that this was written, but honestly, in in things that we still see today. Um, So again, this is a little bit different of a type of relationship in some of the ways that we'll look at it. Um, And it's important when we say slavery, again, we talk about there's the slavery we're maybe more familiar with related to American history, where people were bought and sold as commodities, uh, people were abused and taken advantage of and really um, controlled. The slavery or servant language we talk about here has maybe a little bit less gruesome of a version. It's, I'm not glorifying it in any way, um, but these people would often be a little bit more free, have a little bit of ability to own possessions or, or things, um, but they would really be indebted to maybe either a certain people or person, or maybe indebted to a land and even traded off as land was maybe exchanged or moved to someone else. So they would be indebted to these things, but maybe have a little bit more freedom. And that's kind of the context that this passage looks at today. Um, but again, still important to know that still neither of these things, slavery as maybe we might think about it, or, or this servant type of role that people were put into in this day and age, um, is not what God designed for us and not what was um, had for his people in the creation of man. First Timothy 1.10 talks about enslavers alongside the sexually immoral, liars, perjurers, and that which is contrary to the gospel. So really just Timothy in that passage rejects this idea of this. Um, but again, Paul is trying to give us some context and things and regulate that which he knows is going to happen and not something that he can eradicate in one letter. But Paul's overarching message in the servants and masters passage that we're looking at today um, is that servants and slaves are to do good work not for the sake of their master or anyone else, but as if the very work and tasks they are asked to do are to the Lord himself. And as we look and talk through this passage and the ideas represented here today, we can take what is presented for servants and masters and translate that into our context of that of a worker and an employer or a, a, an employee and a boss or, or things like that. Um, as mentioned above, there are certainly barbaric versions of slavery historically and still horrible acts of that, uh, human trafficking, sex, sex slavery, and that we don't see or think about on a regular basis. But the concept of a servant indebted to something or someone that takes almost all of their time, their energy, demanding continual and grueling work is not completely foreign to many of us probably. Um, this passage is true for all of us who have things that require our personal sacrifice and benefit, or our personal sacrifice for the benefit of someone or something else. Um, I think a lot of us have things in our life that require that for us. For most of that, that's probably our job. 
Um, but it's important for us to think about this and go through this text as we are talking a lot more than just jobs. When we talk about work and the idea of the work that we're supposed to do, for example, some of the people in this room, moms, um, may not have a job per se, um, but some may define, as some would define a job. Um, but I think most of us hopefully know that moms are working hard, probably a lot harder than most of us. Um, dads, this is a great time to say amen. Um, amen. Amen, yeah. Dave wants to watch Seahawks. Well, his wife's not in here. He's safe. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> no. Uh, they're, working a whole, they're working hard. Um, and this idea of work and things that we do that, is really an idea of, of what you have to do and what God is calling you to do with your time and your energy. And we want to use this lens and think about that and all that God has really given you and called you to do in your life as we look at this passage today. So we're going to go ahead and open up to uh, Colossians and read in chapter 3, verses 22 uh, through chapter 4, verse 1. It's chapter 3, verse 22, and it says this, Bond servants, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by eye, of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you, are, that you also have a master in heaven. Would you guys pray with me real quick? Um, God, we just thank you for your word to us. Um, God, we thank you for um, just the way that your scripture speaks to our hearts and has so many things that, that remain timely and impactful to us. God, just the way that you've um, laid out the, the scripture to continually teach us and show us more of who you are and what you have for us in this life, God. Um, God, um, I just want to take a second in just a moment um, to pray against um, servanthood and, and slavery. Unfortunately, we live in a world um, where human trafficking and things like that still exist, and there's still a major issue there. Um, and we've got to hear and learn about that and talk about how we can help fight that with Rescue Freedom, um, who came and shared with us, God. But I, I just pray against that, um, God. I pray that you would continually rescue and, and free people from those situations, God. Um, but God, as we look at this passage today, I pray that you would just be able to speak into our hearts and minds, see how we can relate ourselves to these different roles uh, that Paul was talking about um, really almost 2,000 years ago now, God, and show us what it looks like to live as people who seek to glorify you and honor you in all that we do, God. God, we thank you for today and pray that you would bless this time and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, before we dive into the Colossians passage, I want to start by, and I shared a little bit about this, but defining work and where it came from. Uh, when we talk about and look at work today, we're talking about what God, again, has given us to do. And I would say generally in life, we can almost sum up most of our time into three major categories. We have time that we're working, um, times that we're resting, um, and times where maybe it's more community or social-like time. Um, and then maybe some sleep here and there. Um, but three major things where we're really doing things, all of that. And sometimes those things can overlap a bit. Um, but work is, is really a big part of that. Um, work, of course, is going to a job. But there's other work that we do, as, as I've already mentioned. And if we think more of the context of when this was written, people would be working... Um, probably from their home and having crops and livestock um, in their own trade of some kind. And, and the separation between what we think of a, a job and other work was probably a lot more blended together. And I think when we think about work, we need to think a little bit more about how other things that we are called to work and do, maintaining a household or, or things like that. Um, there's a lot of different type of work we do, and, and I think this passage is impactful for all of that. Um, and I'll take a moment here just to kind of mention the idea of rest 
um, and maybe more in proper terms, as scripture puts it, a Sabbath. Um, today, we're really going to focus on work and talk about work, but it's important to know that God demonstrated in his own work, taking a time to rest and pause from his work, and we are called to do the same. Let me say, too, that it's supposed to be a very focused rest. Um, I think too often we want a kind of rest and kind of work. Um, I know, like, hearing, you know, like, I'd rather, well, I could do this while well, the game's on, or I could do this while well, I'm, you know, have something in the background, or, or things like that. Um, but I think scripture really calls us to, and as we'll talk about today, to work very hard. But at the same time, we're supposed to really take intentional time to rest, and we ought to do this regularly. Um, weekly is really the idea of the Sabbath that was presented throughout the Bible, and really an important and good rhythm we should, we should try to keep to. Um, again, we won't focus much on rest and Sabbath today, but important to note this as we talk about work, that, that that's not all that we're called to do. Um, so if work represents the things that we are doing in our lives, in our jobs, and home, then where did this idea first start? Where did it come from? Uh, it came from God, who was the first to work. In fact, Work is the first action we really see in the Bible in the form of creation. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see God working by creating all things. The very first passage of the Bible speaks of this. What kind of work does God do? God does good work. After each of the first five days of creation, God declared his work good. In fact, God works until it's very good. God, on the sixth day of creation, after creating man in his own image, says in Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. In God's work, the very creation of man was done so that man, who God created in his image, could work alongside him and be with him. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. It is important to know that man was instructed to work even before the fall. Think about that, that God created us from the beginning and that our design was to be in paradise and to be in perfect harmony with God. And in this was designed work. And would be good and joyful for man and glorifying to God. God designed man for work. And we must know that to best understand what redeemed kingdom-based God-honoring work looks like. And I think that's kind of hard to imagine because of our work context or, or the, the way that work has been so skewed and, and mistrayed by, by sin. Um, is that to think about the idea that you could be in perfection and there would be work. Like for most of us, it's like, that doesn't seem to like, how would those things go together? Um, but that's the beautiful intent of what God was doing with creation and the ultimate idea of what his redemption um, is going to bring back and about in our lives. Um, we see in Genesis 3, uh, 17 through 19, what work now looks like in a sinful world as a result of the fall. Genesis 3, 17 through 19 says this. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." It's important when we look at this passage that we see three things. One is that God is gracious. It may not seem immediately that this response is grace, but God could have removed man from the face of the earth. He could have reset everything. He could have just gotten rid of everything. We all of man are fallen and sinful and deserve wrath. But God in his grace did not eradicate man. Um, Second, this is the doing of man. We cause this to happen. God is not an evil kid with a magnifying glass burning ants. God is responding to our sin. And showing us a better way. In his loving kindness, we get far more than we deserve, even in our sin. And three, God provides. Even our disobedience and our choice of self, God provides for us. God curses the ground, not that we wouldn't get anything from it, but that through toil and sweat of our brow, we may have our needs met. 
Even after the fall, God gives us an opportunity to find provision, joy, satisfaction, and more through our work and through the toil of this life. But the reality is that work is hard, and that this is because of sin. That there is still much that God does in it and through it, but it's hard work, and, and sin has caused it to be much different than what God originally intended to. But again, God can still work and does work in it and through it. So we know that work are really the things that we are responsible to do and the things that we're responsible for, that God was the first to work and did so in the very beginning, and that we were created in his image and were created to work. Let's now look at Colossians 3 and talk about work through the lens of this passage. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 22 says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Uh, this passage starts by first writing to servants and giving them instruction. Um, this is just there on its own. It's kind of unique. Um, you know, we obviously would think of it of getting like a letter in the mail, but it, it's, it's not like a servant would normally have people address them or, or write something to them. Um, and it's significant here that Paul is addressing servants and addressing them first. Um, so he's, they're given this, and they're told to obey those that are put in authority above them, their masters. This is to obey them to the point at which they are not leading them um, or instructing them in ways that are contrary to what God obeys or to, to what would allow them to obey God and what God is commanding them to do. Just as we are to obey the law or obey those above us, unless it's leading us to sin or to disobey God. Um, but generally speaking, that they should obey them in the way that they're leading them. The passage furthermore instructs that in their obedience, they, they, do, not, they do not do so to look good, to please people or to please their master, but with sincere hearts and fear of the Lord. This is really countercultural today um, for, for really the world, but probably for a lot of us. Many people, and at times, again, most of us probably, we think about in our work, how can this be done so maybe we can get noticed or recognized? Um, so maybe others will be pleased with us and pleased with what we do and pleased with what we're giving them. Um, when we do this, we're not taking into account what is always right or what is good or what is true, which is ultimately what God wants us to do with our work, not worry about pleasing people or doing things for eye service, but for what is good and right and what he's leading us to. Um, we, we do not work for the sake of others, but we do it in a way that is good and right and is ultimately glorifying to God. Uh, the passage continues in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Um, this passage right here is really a big crux. That's verse 23 and 24 of what we're going to talk about today and, and what this passage is really communicating to us um, and communicating to really both servants and masters. Paul tells us that in whatever we do, we work hard and work as if God himself is our master. And he is the one we are working for. Uh, this is not just kind of what we should think about or imagine as we have things to do and as we are working, but this should be our theology of work and of life as we have a sovereign God who has placed us and put us where we are at. He knows who is leading us and uh, in charge of us. In fact, he is the one who created them. And just as we were made in his image, um, so were these people. Again, we are to reject when we are being led to disobey God or to sin, but uh, in these cases, we can't rightly work for them as if it were for the Lord, but otherwise, we work as if the Lord, as if it for the Lord, and we do this knowing that all we have in and through him. We do this knowing that all that we are and all that we have is in and through him, and that we work for him, and we work in and as for the Lord, as the passage says here. And we don't work for eye service or pleasing people. We really don't work for any reward, actually. It says here, for our reward is that of a future inheritance, one that has been secured and promised to us from our salvation, and one we see blossoming and developing as God's kingdom come and his will is done across this earth as it is in heaven. We have been called by God his own, his children, 
Now we still work and we toil by the sweat of our brow, and it is hard work, yet we do this already knowing our future outcome. We're not working to earn, um, but that our work is a response and is glorifying God, who by his grace, through the blood of Christ, paid our ransom and has given us an inheritance in him forever. A friend of, me, a friend of mine uh, texted me a quote this week, and it says this, In Christ, this is how God views us. He is pleased with us, not because of the work we do or the way we finish. It's because he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus. It's an important idea here, an important there. I don't know actually who said this. He's, my friend sent me a screenshot. Who knew I was uh, preparing for this sermon? Um, but this passage says, in Christ, or sorry, this, this quote says, in Christ, again, this is how God views us. He is pleased with us, not because of the work we do or the way we finish, it's because he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because of all that we have in Jesus, we have been imputed the righteousness of Jesus onto us that we are seen as clean and we are seen as forgiven. We are seen as right with God. And this gives us such freedom in our work to know that we aren't working or striving or trying to earn something. And this is crucial that our identity is that we are children of God. We work from a perspective of being God's children and having an inheritance in him. Our work does not then become our identity, but we walk out our identity as his children in our work, that by the work that we do, we may glorify him. Work is not our identity. Let me say that again. We are defined not by what we do, but only and ultimately through our relation to Christ. This being that in eternity past, Christ has chosen us. That brings us back to the first sermon in this series and what we have been talking about over the last few weeks, that we are chosen ones. This being that God himself has chosen us chosen our work that we do and put us into places and amongst people in which he now calls us to glorify him in their midst, that through our lives and through our work, he may be made known. For us truly to work in a way that is for the Lord, we have to have an understanding of our identity in him and our inheritance in him. We can approach work in two ways, that it is ultimately about us or that it is ultimately about God. When it is about us, we are seeking power, control, wealth, things of this world, when it is about the glory of God, we have the sight and understanding to know this very work was provided by him and whatever work we will have in the future is all ultimately from him. When we go the path of self and of things, possessions, wealth, and people of this world, the byproduct and outcome is like that which is documented by the writer of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 2, uh, verses 4 through 11, it says this, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water in for the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man." So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all of my toil. And this, is, this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun." Let me read that last part again there. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I mean, we can see all throughout this passage right here the, the, the issue with it. And it's all the language of I and my that the writer and all of his own doings and all of his things becoming 
great and strong and, and better than anyone else in, in all the history of Jerusalem, doing all this on might amounted for nothing. This is what trying of our own being and intent and strength looks like. We can take what we want. We can strive for things of this world, seek pleasure in whatever looks pleasing, and in the end, it's all vanity. The world is failing and fading, and any gain we seek in and of the world itself is vanity, for there is nothing we can gain. We work not seeking to gain, but knowing that from our identity of adopted children by a loving Father, we have all we need in Him. Our work is solely for His glory. Our inheritance is in Him. Back to Colossians 3, verse 25, it continues, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Um, just to jump right into it, I'm going to read 1 Peter 2, verses 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and to live righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. God knows and is with us when we face injustice and wrongdoing and cruelty and things such as that. Not only does he know our situation intimately by knowing who we are, by being with us, by, by, by his spirit walking through these things with us, but he knows what it's like. Jesus, God in the flesh, faces to the greatest extent we could imagine. The greatest injustice, the greatest cruelty, the greatest wrongdoing. Jesus faced that. For when we do this, when we're walking in the same manner, when we do this, when we walk through things, when we go through life, when we have people above us, um, masters, when we have bosses, when we have people in authority above us who, who use that power to take advantage or do things that are not good, we are walking in the same steps that Christ once walked. We are living in the same manner in reality as Christ who took on injustice, who took on cruelty, who took on the sin of the world. And we know that God, who is just and is at work to redeem and rescue us from such situations, and ultimately has already secured our rescue in eternity. But he knows. He's gone before us. He is with us in, in the face of wrongdoing. And, and it's by his wounds that we are healed and that we are ultimately rescued and recovered from these type of situations. Um, again, kind of like I said before, if, if you know, we're in situations where we're being led to disobey God or to sin, we certainly reject that. But there's going to be times when, when maybe it's not that, that direct or that you're immediately being put into sin, but, but someone maybe is an authority above you or leading you or, or you're a boss in your workplace where clearly they're sinning against you um, and they're, they're making your work hard or your life hard. And, and that's the reality of that. And there's times where we need to fight back and reject that. But as we see here in, in 1 Peter 2, that there are times when, when we're going to face these things and we're going to be called to walk through that. But we're not doing that alone. We're doing that with God who is with us by the power of his spirit and a God who knows exactly what this feels like and has done this to the greatest extent. Uh, Colossians, uh, the last kind of verse in this passage, chapter four, verse one says this. Masters, treat your servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Um, so now after talking about this wrongdoer, aspect and, and God being just over this. Um, he gives masters the instructions that that's not what you're supposed to do. The passage ends with an instruction to masters. 
that they be just and fair to their servants. It's also given a reminder to masters that ultimately they are not the master, that ultimately they have a master in heaven and that they are also a child of God called to love, lead, and serve people, especially those that God has given them to lead. As much as a servant has a responsibility to a master, so a master has a responsibility to the servant to justly and fairly lead them. So here we must ask the question, when we have the opportunity, the ability, the privilege to lead um, in our workplaces, in our lives, um, in, in, in ministry, in, in our homes, when we have opportunities to lead, um, what are we doing with those? How are we walking those out? What responsibilities are we carrying out as we lead? Um, that ultimately we have a master in heaven who's the one leading us and walking through us. Are we doing this as a reflection of Christ? Are we walking in humility? Are we being a servant of others in the ways that we lead or are we obscuring Christ and are we leading in ways that are domineering or hostile or arrogant? The, two, the New Testament gives us a great picture of how a gospel leader serves and loves those that he leads. This being in a way that replicates and follows Christ who showed us what this looks like through his life. I'm gonna look at Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. Matthew 20, 25 through 28 says this, but Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Those that lead are held responsible by God who has sovereignly placed them in the very place of leadership, which they are in. When we lead, we're ultimately are called to lead others in the very way that Christ is leading us, which is to himself, to knowing God, to loving and serving people selflessly and seeking their benefit well before our own, to glorify God and worship God, loving him with all of our heart, with all of our soul and our mind. This is the way that we are called to lead. So we live either as a servant or as a master by following and imitating Christ, the, the way that he displayed himself and showed us who he is as a servant and the way that he showed himself as a leader who also serves. We do this best by modeling the work of Christ for by him we can see what it means to do work in a good and godly way. In John 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of God, the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Our work is to do the will of God. Now, this isn't a specific job, which is important to note. We so often in our culture and lives take our jobs and set them as our identity and put our identity in, in the jobs that we have, which we've already denied today, but, but wanted to deny here again. In fact, when scripture talks about work and talks about what we are called to do, it isn't specific down to the T of what, what we do, but rather what we ought to do, or what, rather how we ought to do it. That God isn't, in most cases, directing us to do specific things, but directing us to live in certain ways and, and, and live on how we do things and how we walk through life. God is more often leading us in how we should live and what attitude and posture we should have in the things that we do rather than prescribing every single detail of what we should do. Now, let me be clear. God cares very much about what we are doing. And though it isn't always blatant, we should certainly be doing that which honors and glorifies him and not falling into anything of sin or idolizing this world or the things of it. At the same time, when it comes to a job or the things that we do in the home or in our lives, God doesn't give everyone an exact cookie cutter printout or a job description lined out with specific details um, with what we're supposed to do. Our job description with God often looks like other duties as assigned. Um, and that's really what we have in that, is that he certainly does in some cases blatantly call us to do something. 
And if God is blatantly calling you to do something in your life, you should do it. Um, if you don't, you should reference the book of Jonah and kind of give you a layout of maybe how that could end up for you. Um, that God does, in certain cases, give us a very clear instruction of how we should live and what we should do and maybe specific things that we're supposed to do with our work. Yet, for the rest of us, God gives us instructions and characteristics of what we should be like and be doing in our work. This is more so what we see in Colossians. It doesn't say that servants have these three specific things that they should do, um, or that if you're a master, that there's this one way to be a master, and this is the greatest master, greatest way to be a master, and, and here's the book and the three steps and checklist that you can do to do it. Um, it gives characteristics of ways that servants and masters can be working hard and, and seeking, not seeking selfish ambition, um, but to please the Lord and, and not doing so as eye service, but rather that everything they do would be as if it was to the Lord himself that instructed them. The very reason we live this way and we do these things as if unto the Lord is because God is the creator, author, and sustainer of life. He holds our lives, he holds your life in his hands. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. God is the ultimate source of life. For each breath that we have is a gift from him. Let us not lose sight that no matter how we are provided for in life or where on earth our provisions may appear to come from, like a corporation or a business, that ultimately God is the source of all things. How different is that than our daily lives? Can you imagine if your thoughts at work were always like this? The Lord wants me to go to all these meetings today. The Lord is sending me on a last minute business trip. The Lord has 300 emails for me to answer. Um, sometimes I, 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 I think about um, the Lord when I have emails in my inbox, but it's not thanking him. Um, it's more of resonating like Job did. Um, but uh, think about things like that. The Lord has, my family in this season, the Lord has me at home with all these kids. The Lord has given us this home and these children to care for. I think most of us have a glimpses of this or maybe an overarching idea of God's sovereignty and that these things couldn't possibly be or happen without him. But do we, in all that we do, do it as if from the Lord. We certainly think about where things are coming from and how much we have to do, but we rarely attribute it to the Lord. We must recognize the source of all things and root ourselves in the calling to do all things as if to the Lord himself. At the same time as those that are masters and those that find themselves leading in the workplace, in the church, in their home, they do so by seeking to be just and fair. They seek to lead by example, and as we read above and talked about, to be a servant of all, that they would look to Christ who leads them and see what he gives for them, what he wants for them, and the value that he sees in them, and replicate that in the ways that they lead. So what does it look like to lead like Jesus? This is to be a servant, to, humble, um, to be humble, to seek the benefit of others. This is not to gain power or hold things over, ourselves, or over others. Truly, as the Colossians passage points out, we are all to be servants because we have a master above us whether literally or in heaven, we have a master. Even he, even he who does not have a master, which is God, humbled himself to the point of serving and being a servant of many and ultimately a servant of all in the forgiveness of our sins. We are all servants, but some are servant leaders in which we certainly are to humble ourselves and serve, but we must also realize that we have also been put in a place to lead and to show people how they ought to work and how they are to be a servant and to guide them on this path. We cannot just be a leader that tries to only be a servant, but we have to be, when called to lead and called upon to lead, find a balance of being able to serve and at the same time helping lead others to see what it looks like to be a servant and carry that out. 
I know these ideas and concepts around work to be really significant and important with the work that I do and the way that I've lived my life and, and the way that I've gone through different seasons of work. Um, previously, I was in full-time ministry, working in a church as a job. Um, a few years back, I transitioned out of this for, for kind of some various reasons, but um, from even the next day after the transition, I've continually been in some type of bivocational or volunteer role, getting to lead and, and serve in various capacities. But as my 40-hour a week, or sometimes more, um, on really good weeks, sometimes a little less, mostly more. Um, but my 40 hours, roughly a week, job responsibilities changed. It was a struggle at times. To be honest, it felt like everything changed because what I did felt to have less significance or importance. This is truly, among, a, truly an issue amongst believers and religious people, often referred to as the sacred-secular divide. The idea is that there are some things that are sacred and bring value to God's kingdom, um, the church, and to people. And then there are secular things that add little to no value, if not maybe even causing harm. That secular things in their nature are unrighteous and that spiritual things are righteous by nature. But God is so much bigger than this. We have truly made an artificial divide that obviously there are things that are not right and that we should not do and things that can be of sin or disobedience. Um, But ultimately that all that we do and all that we have and regardless of um, what our things look like or what we're called to do, we're called to do that unto the Lord. In ministry in the church, it can be so easy to get wrapped up in the idea that the work is automatically good and done with the right posture that some of the identity and heart can get lost or skewed. And it took a transition like this for it to sink in for me. That regardless of working at a church or some other business, my identity was that of a child of God. That I was called to do my work as if unto the Lord. I was called to love those around me. I was called to glorify and honor God. At first this felt harder, but truly it's gotten easier and more intentional regardless the work that I have to do or the workplace that God has put me. First Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the heart of all that we've talked about today, that not just our work, but all things down to that which can be as simple as eating and drinking is to be done in a way that God may be made known, that he may be glorified, that every aspect of our life, whether we be working, whether we be resting, whether we're socializing, in all of these things, we are to glorify God. Um, A great book that talks a lot about work and Sabbath is is Garden City by John Mark Comer. And in it, he says this, the cosmic gargantuan 24-7 kingdom of God cannot be shrunk down to a few hundred people singing songs in a nice building for an hour every weekend. We have to know that our faith and our life of walking with God is much bigger than Sundays. It is bigger than our church obligations. It's even bigger than our families. God goes with us in every moment of every day, but too often we live our lives as if he is not there in some of the things that we direct the majority of our time and energy. How can this be? Why would we do that? God is so much bigger than that, and we have to have that vision of who God is and what really God has called us and placed us in work and sovereignly done in our lives to bring us where we're at, that we're called to bring God and and work with God and see God's glory be done in every single thing that we do. All this suffices to say that we cannot substitute what we do for how we do things. We are to constantly continually check our hearts and posture and attitude for the work that we do and how we do things so that we may be guided and led by the Spirit that we would work heartily to the Lord. Let me say that there is some incredible freedom in this, that our faith and obedience to God more often isn't radically changing the rhythms of what we do, but changing the posture and attitude in all that we do. We can start this day by day growing in this more and more, leaning on God's wisdom, strength, and Spirit to guide us and help us as help us and through the toil and hardness and work of life, that God is there with us and in that. That as we go through changes and different seasons and moves and transitions and through whatever else we may face, we have an inheritance in Christ. We have something so sure and steady, we are able to have a heart and posture that we can bring into all things. 
And we can rest in the great assurance that our work and all that we do is not for earning or striving or pleasing man, but for glorifying and honoring God. And all of this in the reality that work and life can be hard and that our provision comes from the sweat of our brow, we now on the other side of the cross know this to still be true, but we have also been given even more insight into what God is doing and the work he has done for us through Christ. That we still live in a fallen sinful world, but the God who we see provide even after the fall of man and after our sin continues to provide. He provides a payment for our sin that we could have never achieved and that we may not ultimately face death, but that we can find life in and through him. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Though things remain hard in the ground curse, God has given us his spirit, that we may be more like him and that he may be our strength and that by his power we may overcome. So how do we do this? We do this by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. He leads us as our ultimate master who is sovereign over all and as either a servant or a leader, we are called to mirror him and live as Christ has showed us. God is a God of work and he is still at work today. Just like God created everything, he is still in the process of doing this work. As we see in Ephesians, we are his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, pre- pre- which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is at work and is creating in us anew in him. Again, he's creating in us anew. Let's look at the words of David in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, uh, verses 7 through 12 say this. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let, my, uh, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation, and, uh, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Romans 6.22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. God is doing work now by doing work in us that we may live our lives in a way that glorifies him. God is doing work now by doing work in us that we may live our lives in a way that glorifies him. As God works in us and we glorify him, it showcases who he is to those around us. When we do things as unto the Lord, it allows God to be made known in all that we do. God is working in you to produce obedience, good work, and hard work to give you opportunities and authority to lead in a way, in a manner that he himself displayed to us in Christ. That we may live, um, that we may live as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, to be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That we would be so closely connected to Christ, to who he is, to what he's called us to do and to live out, that we could truly say that people can come as we lead to be imitators of us as we are just living our lives, lives to imitate Christ, which Paul instructs so, so perfectly in, in the way that he lived his life um, through what God had done in him. The great news about God is that his work and us being a part of it is that God does good work as we talked about in Genesis. His nature has always been to do work that is inherently good. And the byproduct is goodness. As we saw in Genesis, he proclaimed each day of his work good. And in his final day of creation, in which he created man, he proclaimed it very good. This is what God is doing, what we ultimately have secured for us in our inheritance with him and what we have been given. And this is what we see throughout scripture. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to his purpose. God is working all things together for good, and that involves using us as his workmanship, that by not just our ministry, our church participation, but through all of our lives, he may be glorified. I once heard a pastor say, if it's not good, God's not done. God does good and is bringing about goodness throughout all this earth. As his kingdom comes and his will is done, now this is in accordance to his will and ways. It may not always be what we might think or see or hope for, um, or it can be hard to understand in a moment or in our perspective, but we can trust in our loving father that he has our best for us and that in our inheritance as chosen ones called according to his purpose, he is working all things together for good. And we have in him goodness that is guaranteed and promised to come where we will be with him forever. And there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sweat of our brow, no more striving or toil, nor, no people pleasing, no selfish gain, but there will be complete joy, life, and glory forever. Let's pray. God, thank you, God. Um, God, we thank you first for, for the work that you do, God. Um, the work that you did in just creating all that we see um, creating each and every one of us in this room, God. Um, that you did all those things and that you had a plan for people, God. Um, and that even in that plan, God, um, that you were gonna call us to work, uh, that, that we fell short, God, and that we sinned. And, and we're now in a world where, where things can be hard and life can be hard and we strive and, and by the sweat of our brow, um, things can come through, God. Um, but even in our sin, God, that you have continually found a way to provide. And God, you continually are at work to make things good and ultimately are bringing things back and restoring things back to your original creating purpose, the original work that you had started. God, you are continuing through our lives, God. God, I pray that we would see your work in our lives, God, and that we would see that you are at work in us so that we can do work so that you can be glorified. God, I pray that that work would continually be at work in us as we are sanctified and created more into the image of your Son, God, show us what we need to do in our work. Show us how we are to live in our work that we can glorify you in all the things that we do, God. Um, not just our jobs, but God, but show us in, and when we go to work, when we go to a job, God, how we can live as if unto you. Um, God, when we were at home and we were doing things as a family or, or, or walking um, just through the things of, a, of maintaining a household, God, God, help us to do those things as if unto you, God. God, help us see and know that you are with us in and through everything, God. Help us not to go into places or things or, or moments where we're spending a majority of our day or, or in some cases, the majority of our life and not bringing you alongside with us, God. God, help us to do all things unto you. Help us to lead and live our lives as your servants, God. Help us in times when we are called to lead others, God, to be a servant of them and to lead them into seeing who you are and what you have for them, God. God, we thank you for your sovereign grace in our lives, God, your sovereign will to continue to work all things together for good, God. Help us to see that, God. Help us to rest in this assurance, rest in the fact that we don't strive or seek to earn things um, in this world or of this earth, but that we have already earned everything in you, God, that we have an inheritance, that we have a promise, that we have a salvation that is greater than anything of this world, God. Let us rest in the fact that, that all of our work we do is merely just to glorify you and to live in a way that honors you, uh, for all that we have and all that we need, we have already found in who you are, God. God, we thank you for this and praise you for your wonderful work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.